Hey, everybody. On the run with Beards and Duns back again. Hey, Beards, how's your day going? Hey, good, Dun. I had a, just a wonderful folks that were staying at our Lake Bemidji bed and breakfast, and they're from Olathe or Olothe, Kansas. Wow. Right out, yeah. And so I, I took uh, Bob, the, the husband, out on a little lake uh, north of town, and it was gorgeous. We caught a bunch of big crappies. There were a couple bald eagles flying around. We had a loon that kept popping up around the boat. I mean, you couldn't ask for a much uh, nicer morning to be out on the water, that's for sure. Beards, I got to admit, there's part of me that really wishes we were back closer to you. I'd love to go out fishing with you, especially this time of the year when being out on the water, it's got to be just gorgeous. Well, you know, the last couple of years when you've come up for our Beardsley races yeah, and then yeah. you and Karen come to the end and we have so much fun out oh, there fishing. It is. I And if anybody's listening, if you ever want to go fishing with, with somebody who knows how to catch fish, I got to give Dick a lot of credit. We've gone fishing with him several times. We've never gotten skunked. We've never gotten skunked. If Beards doesn't find fish within 10 or 15 minutes... We're moving, and we're going to go find some fish. That's right. And, we're going to go find them. And, and I tell you what, if even if you're not a fisherman, you're going to have a, a great time. It's so much fun. And, you know, I always thought fishermen had to be, like, stone quiet and be quiet. You can't talk and stuff. I think that's duck hunting or something like that. But beards is, you know, if you want to chit-chat. Oh, it's story time, oh, baby. it's story time. <laughs> and so you're fishing and swapping stories. And I tell you, it is so much fun. I, I'd encourage Done. anybody to do it. You know, I, so yesterday— I had two brothers out, and uh, they were both runners and, and in the past, and they still do it. Well, they the one brother, he just retired, so the other brother flew in from North Carolina where he lives, and they yeah. surprised him, and they, they gave, because they said one time, they came and ran the Beardsley races a few years ago in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, and they always, they always said to each other, wouldn't it be so cool to go fishing with Dick? So his brother flew in to Minneapolis unexpectedly, he shows up at his brother's house, and he hands him this envelope. It's something about fishing with Dick Beardsley. And he goes, yeah, wouldn't that be the dream? And he goes, pack your bags, buddy. We're leaving in 30 minutes. He'd already set it up. He'd already set it up oh, back in is, April. So awesome. we we had, we were walleye fishing for six hours. We had caught a bunch of fish. And the stories that we were all swapping, it was so <laughs> gosh darn much fun. It is. It is good. You know, I'm, I'm looking at retiring one of these days. You might, you might have to build onto your bed and breakfast. We might have a permanent spot up there through the summer. And I'm well, not staying up. I'm not staying up there in the winter months. I don't care. No, I got the man cave where I'm sitting right I'm now, Mikey. Karen and I'll room bunk for you and Karen. <laughs> yeah, we'll bunk in. All right. <laughs> well, hey, let's kind of back up. You know, last week we talked about our, our good friend Al Stratmeyer. And, right. And that was that was really, I appreciate, you know, everybody indulging me and, and just sharing. I think Al was just one of a kind, and he was he was such a nice, kind individual and, you and such a fun guy to hang out with. And, and like I said in the podcast, I think about him all the time and miss him and and, you know, that's kind of our message is get out there and have fun and enjoy life. And, um, and you know, talking about, you know, let's kind of carry on, Beards. You, you, last time we talked about the run-in, you had run uh, Houston and Beppu within right. a month of each other. Then we hooked up down at Lincoln, Nebraska. And yes. it was February, like, 28th. It was the last day of February, 1981. February 28th. Well, and then um, I'm going to just be honest. I got injured shortly thereafter. You know, this is the story of my life. I was in my best shape of my life. And I think I had a hard time taking a break. It was winter still. It was February. I strained a, a hamstring right up at the upper attachment, right in my, be honest with you, oh, right I remember my butt. that. 
And uh, running was impossible. I remember when it took, I did it. You like a year to recover, it took I remember. A, forever. It took all of 1981. It was very discouraging. I remember I was out on a run when it 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 tore. And I, beards, I couldn't even like, I thought, well, I had to walk like two and a half right. miles to get back to my apartment where Karen and I were living. And I couldn't run. I could not run. No, I went to a doctor. I remember that. I tried to let it heal. Long story. Doesn't matter. I was laid up. But well, well done. Yeah, go ahead. Could it have been? Could it have been because of this? So on Sat, I'm looking at my logbook from 1981. So Saturday, February 28th, 1981, I run 48:25. You run 49 and 42. change. I, I turned the page. You know what you and I did Sunday morning? I have no recollection. I've got it written down. 20 mile run with done <laughs> the day after we just got done running a hard fast race <laughs> you would have thought we'd take like an easy run a five to ten mile run maybe that day kind of relaxed oh my right goodness. back on the horse and yep. yeah and it was winter it was february and i uh and we'll get into that you know training in the midwest and the upper and the northern states right it's a real challenge and you have to kind of use your head and i'm not sure i did the enthusiasm stuff has got the better of me, <laughs> me well, I got, so i got hurt but, you know, okay, so uh, March 1st rolled around. We and I did a 20. I got injured sometime in March. And then the next thing I hear is Dick is going to go run the London Marathon. And, and, and if people don't know, I mean, everybody knows the London Marathon today. That, that course has produced several world records. Right. Uh, uh, runs. Um, and it was the first London Marathon in 1981 Yes. And Dick Beardsley was there. And I've always, I really don't remember, Dick. How did London happen? I've got some questions here. How did you get in? Did you get invited? Did you call them up and say, hey, I heard you're having a race. I'd like to come run it. No. Did, how did it, how did this transpire? So, okay. So, you know, I ran for New Balance. Right. And so New Balance European distributor was a guy named Chris Brasher from oh, London. He paced Roger Bannister to the first, first right. four-minute mile. And right. he was, a, he was a, a 1956 steeplechase gold, gold medalist, medalist right. for London. So um, Chris was the, uh, you know, the New Balance distributor over in, in Europe. So he calls New Balance. He says, hey, we're putting on this brand-new marathon called the London Marathon. Do you have any athletes that would maybe be interested in coming over. So they called me up and they go, hey, Dick, how would you like to go to London, England and run the first ever London Marathon? I said, heck yeah. <laughs> now, what time of the, you know, what, what time would you do? Remember specifically, it was a March, April, because the race was in May. Yeah, so the, no, the, the, uh, back, the very first one, I'm looking at my logbook right now, was Sunday, March 29th. No way. Yes. <laughs> You had ran Bampu like late, late, late January, first of February. No, it was, it was, I ran uh, the, the, around the 8th of February. Oh my god! I, I ran Bampu. Because I know Houston was like mid-January. Mid-January. And then three weeks later, <laughs> I ran Bampu. And then I get this invite to go to London. Well, you know, I'm like starry-eyed, bushy-tailed. And they go, yeah, well, they'll fly you over and put you up. And and I thought, heck, yeah, I'd never been to London before. Wow. So you put this on your calendar. Yep. And now you had how much time do you think pre-race to train? I don't know if you needed. You were always training. Well, here's what I did. Yeah. So 
So done. So after our race in the the Statehood Days 10 miler in Lincoln, Nebraska, right. the next day we do a 20 miler in the morning, and I I did another four miles easy that afternoon. <laughs> On Tuesday, I did 12 miles of hard fart lick. I had 132 miles in that week. So then the following week, I I wrote on here, getting ready for the Jacksonville 15K River Run, okay, which is a huge, huge, huge race. So that was, so I did another 20 miler on that Sunday. Then that on that Saturday was the uh, 15K road race. And I finished seventh that day. And there were, here's the guys that were some notable runners and any diehards that go back for that. Dan Dillon was in the race. John Sinclair, Benji Durden, Kyle Hoffner, Hefner, Bobby Hodge, Rick Rojas, Dick Berkeley, Steve Floto, and some other top runners. And I finished, well, actually sixth. Me and Dick Berkeley, sub four-minute miler, yeah. we tied. Oh, my. We, yeah. It's sad. He and, just he just passed away a few months ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was so, bald-headed. You know, that, yes. was, that was unusual back in the and the nice 70s. guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a great, uh, well, he had the indoor, uh, I think, American record for sure in the mile at one time. But. And so then, <laughs> so I run Jacksonville, run 44-48 for 15K. Next morning, I get up and I do a 15-miler. <laughs> okay. And another five later in the day, I then on Tuesday, the 17th of March, I do a 20-miler. A and then five miles later in the day. And then... Um, I'm looking at my logbook here. So then the following week was my taper week to get ready for London. So from the 22nd of March, and London was on Sunday the 29th. So my taper week, I did 71 miles that week. Wow, you, and you took it easy. I know a lot of people think, 71 miles for a taper week? But, you know, Don, as you know, when you're running 130, 140 miles a week, Seventy miles seems like you're oh, not you're, doing anything. You're just coasting. That's a. I I forgot it was that early in the year. Yeah. All right. It, so you you tapered for London. Do you remember like how how early over you you didn't get Mary didn't get to go. I know with work, we haven't right. got into that work training life that you know you guys had to support yourselves. Right. And so I know Mary had taken. I think she was working at a bank and things like she that. She was. Yeah. And so getting time off is always going to be a. Kind of right. Tough. So you went by yourself? So I went by myself. So I got over there on Tuesday, March 24th. And I on my logbook, I go, just got to London and very tired. So I probably went and took a nap and I did a 10-mile run later that day. And then the next day, a 7 and a 6, a 5 and a 6. And then Friday, I just ran 6. Saturday, I ran 4. And then Sunday oh. was the race. You must have been like a little Energizer bunny fully... Fully charged. Oh, done. <laughs> so, okay. So they, they pick me up at the Heathrow Airport and they take me into into London and they, they put me up in this hotel. And honest to gosh, the bed was so small, I had to sleep in the, you know, fetal position <laughs> with my legs bent. They gave me enough money to buy a couple of hamburgers a day. And I was tickled pink. So that whole time before the race, when I got there, I, just, I went out and sightseed and you know, took in all the the neat things in London and everything, and 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 then race day, man, I I was pretty I was pretty fired up. So this, and again, I I asked some hard questions that maybe are inappropriate. There was no appearance money, uh, given. Did they say, hey Dick, if you come, 
we'll make it worth your while. No, I didn't get a nickel, and and I don't think anybody else did too. Mm. You know, the fact that, you know, New Balance had asked me to do it because of Chris Brasher, mm. and of course I would do I would have done anything for New Balance, and the fact that you know it wasn't costing me anything, and plus the first London Marathon, and I knew yeah. it was probably going to get you know a, a lot of. Uh, coverage on television and newspapers things like that all right now just kind of you know i appreciate you shared your i love the fact you have your training log in front of you that is awesome now yeah i have a couple questions about you know i've had people ask me over the years weights resistance training strength training right you i know you had a routine and correct me if i'm wrong i think you're notorious for doing a lot of crunches man sit-ups yeah is that what so the only yeah it was the only thing I did. I never lifted weights. Mm-hmm. I I didn't do any push-ups or anything like that. But I I do now. I do twenty-three push-ups every day for the <laughs> Good for you. And and you probably know why that number I do. I I do twenty-three push-ups every day for the twenty-two veterans that take their life every day. Right. And the and the <clears throat> sorry and the one present-day service person that takes their life. So I do twenty-three of those, and then I do about. Four to five hundred crunches every day. Four or five hundred crunches. That's now. How many were you doing back in the day? About the same, or yeah, probably about the same. But but done. If I had any extra time in the day, I just would go and run more miles. <laughs> yeah, I know we talked about that. <laughs> if we had an extra half hour to go lift weights, I'd have just went and did five more miles. Or something. Exactly. When and plus, I think you know you you kind of grew up in a rural more. You loved hanging out on farms. Right. And so you just naturally was always doing physical labor through yeah. your high school and even into right. college. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the you pitching bales or pitching yeah. manure yeah. by a Grain. You know, pitchfork. Yeah. yeah. You feed them in one end and then you have to clean up out yeah, the exactly. other end. Exactly. Cool. And, you know, no skid loader or anything like that. It was all by hand. Now, these 120 labor. to 140 mile weeks you were doing there in early, let's just say January through March, yeah. April of. 81, any training partners? Did you have any regular guys that you no. hook up with? You no, were on I your pretty, own, bud. I pretty much, I would say over ninety for over 95% of the time, I was running on my own back then. And the only really time I really ran with anybody was like when you and Karen would come okay, to visit. Sure. A couple or I'd, we'd go down and visit you guys. All right. Well, all right. That, that's That's amazing. All right, now I'm just going to cut to some good stuff. We're going to try to get the link on our site, and I'll probably try to put this on our Facebook posts and stuff. If you go to YouTube and put in London Marathon 1981, they actually have some great, great footage. Yes. Uh, you know, because the technology in the early 80s, it's really good. I don't know. They must have been showing that race live. and They did. It's recorded. And it says uh, London Marathon 1981 on YouTube, part one and part two. It's about 30 minutes. I never found part two yet, but they call it's all combined into one chunk and we'll put on there, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good, um, Oh, I don't know. Documentary if you would. It is. And you know, beards, you're on it probably nine, 10, 11 segments. You know, they talk a lot about, right. they, they always refer to you as the American. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you were the, I'm sure there were other Americans, but you were the only top level right. American in the field. Yes. Now, I, I know that Inga Simonson and Trevor Wright, they had finished sixth and seventh at New York when you finished ninth. Right. But they were right ahead of you. I think Inga ran like uh, 213.28. Trevor Wright had ran 213.31. You were at 213.55. Yes. So you guys were all you know, right in a little bunch there. 
And then you're going over to London, and I don't know. Did you know these guys are running? Did, I'm sure I they had, had no a, idea. You didn't know who was lining up. No. Wow. I had no idea. See, nowadays they always, you know, you get a list of the starters. Oh, and for you'd be sure. Studying like, oh, geez, let's see who's here in the field and stuff. But you lined up and looked around and said, oh, I recognize a couple of these guys. Well, but I didn't. I didn't. I had never met Inga or Trevor Wright, so I didn't know who they even were. But okay. But I. But but I was told that. But Chris Brasher, the race director, that there's going to be some, you know, good European runners that that'll be going up against you. So, you know, I'll, I'm thinking, hey, that's great, bringing them on, and yeah. let's go have at it. Well, in those days, I think you'd kind of, and I think you alluded to this earlier, you were there to race. You weren't there to run yes. a time. You didn't have splits written down your arm. Nope. You weren't going to try to, you know, run at a set pace or whatever. You were just going to race it. Exactly, and that was my. That was my vision going in, and I'm just and I so when the race took off, I kind of I I kind of shot right out to the front. I wanted to make sure the pace was at a pretty good clip. And now this is back, so it was the very first London Marathon. So they basically there was a lot of turns on it. Not like it is, you know, yeah. years later where they make it as straight as can be. So there were a lot of turns because they wanted to take us by all the historical places around London. <laughs> so, and it was a rainy, wet day and kind of chilly. And I remember, you know, the tabloid no- newspapers in the U.S. are terrible. Over in England, they're 10 times worse. <laughs> and they were, oh, they were, I'm reading the papers leading up to the race. And they were criticizing Chris Brasher and John Disley, the other, the co-race director, that nobody's going to run this race. Nobody's going to come out and cheer. And it was, there was over a million spectators that day in the rain and over 7,000 runners, which was a lot of runners back then. You got to love the, you got to love the media. They love a good controversy. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. They couldn't say this is fantastic and isn't no. this cool and all that sort of stuff. Not until afterwards. Okay. Now, if you guys, if anybody's listening, and I sure hope a lot, everybody does this, We'll have the link or just go to YouTube, put in London 1981, get a bowl of popcorn and a cool yeah. beverage. And it's only 30 minutes. And I'll even, I even went through and marked, I haven't written down the time uh, segments whenever Beards comes on the screen. And, <laughs> and you know, because then they, they do a few human interest stories right. in like 30 minutes. Yes. And, and there's nothing wrong with watching those. No. It's pretty cool. But, you know, if you want to just, if you're limited time, just you can kind of cut through and see where Dick's at, but Beards, you were you were the mover and the shaker. And go ahead and just go from the gun. How did the morning of the race take us through yeah. that day? So, like I said, it was rainy and, and you know not heavy rain, but just kind of a constant mist and light rain. And and uh, the, the excitement there for this first London Marathon was amazing. And they started as inside on this big green park area and when the gun went off you had to go through these gates like yeah arches these gates yeah this on the video it shows yeah that. and so we get out on the road and almost right away i'm right up in front and i'm kind of pushing the pace and i could every for some reason everybody was keying off of me yeah. you know so they were sucked in right behind me and and we had a you know, a pretty large pack. So we're going across the Tower Bridge at about halfway. And there's still like 10 guys or so in the lead group. So I'm thinking, okay, this is way too many people. <laughs> so about three quarters of the way across the Tower Bridge, I put the hammer down and opened up a gap. And the only one, the only person that came with was Inga Simonson, 
from Norway. So when you come off the Tower Bridge, we took this right-hand turn. And for the next number of miles, we went way down along the Thames River and then and then made a turn and came basically back the same direction on just a different street. Back then, that whole area done was all um, boarded up old factories and buildings. There was no spectators down in there. Now, it's one of the most desirable places to live and everything. Oh, wow. But back then, so we come back and we go underneath the Tower Bridge and right by this big old castle and stuff. And we're running for the, about the next mile and a half. We're running on cobblestone. Oh. And, it, you know, we're, we're talking cobblestone that's been put down a zillion years ago. <laughs> and they're so wet. It's une- yeah. And they're wet. It's uneven. It's wet. It's like, it's like walking onto an ice rink without skates on. <laughs> so we finally get off of that. And, and I'm doing everything I can to try to, you know, break Inga. But... But then he's pushing the pace, too. You know, if I backed off a little bit, then he'd pick up the pace. He was never in front of me. But um, if it, we, were, we were mainly running side by side. So we're somewhere with about maybe a half mile to go. And we're running side by side. And I remember turning to him and, and saying, so I think I said something like, what do you think? And Inga turned to me, and he, he spoke a broken English. I had no... He might as well have been talking Japanese they, they or Chinese. They actually show this on the video, and they go... And I kind of remember... I can't remember what the announcers say, but it says, they say something about, are these guys swapping stories? Or, or you know, they, yeah. they see talking to one another. And and so Inga was talking to me, but I, I, I couldn't understand <laughs> him. And so anyhow, we're coming down towards the finish line and because i when i said so what do you think i'm thinking are we are we going up sprinting to the end are we coming in together or what and then he said you know again he said something to me and i have no idea what he said so we're anyhow we are i'm on his right he's on my left we're heading towards the finish line and the people are going nuts and and we didn't we weren't even looking at each other then and it was like my left arm came down like you know my stride and and Inga's right, and right at the last second we clasped hands, went up in the air like this, and we our chests both broke the tape at the same it, time. It's a awesome. It's a it's a great shot, and you can kind of see. I th- he understood. You understood. It was an unspoken, a sportsman gesture. Yes, and uh, you know Done. the announcers thought it was awesome. You know a lot of people might. Oh, geez, you know, you guys wimped out. You didn't sprint it out. You know, somebody you just got to, you know, I hate to say it, our American culture, there's got to be a winner and there's got to be a loser. Right. And no, there doesn't. You know, everybody. But done. You, you guys when were awesome. The next morning, that picture of him and I coming up with our arms, breaking the tape, was in newspapers all oh. over the world. And it wasn't because, oh, we won the first London Marathon, but it was because I'm from the U.S., Inga was from Norway, and this sportsmanship. Oh. Exactly. But done i gotta tell you this inga and i were not halfway through the shoot remember fred lebo sure fred started the new york city marathon and and they brought fred over there to kind of help him you know organize it put it on because he was such a good and i knew fred he comes sprinting into the finish shoot 
and he starts yelling at me. He goes, Beardsley, that would never happen in the New York City Marathon. You would have both been disqualified. And I remember looking at Fred, I said, Fred, it's never going to happen to me again either. But this time, it just felt like the right well, thing to do. Well, they called it the hand of friendship. Yes. And it's still to this day, they talk about it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the finisher medals that they gave, was it just, was that just one year that I remember seeing a picture of a finisher medal from London, and it's that image of you and Inga coming across with your hands joined. So done. Every five years, ah. we are so blessed, Inga and I and our families. They bring Inga and I over every five years to celebrate that very first year. Now, listen, we ran 211.48 that day. It's the slowest winning time ever at the London Marathon. But they go, and Hugh Brasher, his dad, Chris, who started the race, has passed away. So his son, Hugh, has taken over the race. He goes, Dick, he goes, it's the slowest race ever, but there will never be a first-time winners of the London Marathon. So at the 35th anniversary, they bring Inga and his family back. They bring me and my family back. And the whole theme of that year's marathon was that hand, hand of, of friendship. friendship. All the every T-shirt that every runner got was that picture of me and Enga. The 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 medals that the fifty thousand people got were um, were the, the w- image. W- was that yeah. that image. And done. We were over there for a week, and I don't know what it's like to be a rock star, but if Enga <laughs> and I, we would be walking around London somewhere, and people were coming up. And wanting autographs because they had promoted this. Oh, and that it, is so cool. And even non-runners, it was just an amazing thing. You know, and in the video on YouTube, they interview you right after the finish. It bears the adrenaline, the energy you're projecting. <laughs> if well, I, I, if I didn't I know say, you better, I, I would have thought you were, you know, you had had a few brewskis in you or something <laughs> like that. But, I mean, you were, you were very, and, and it's so fun to watch because you were just so full of life. Yeah, how exciting. You and Inga oh. coming across. Now, Inga doesn't speak a lick of English, correct? Well, so very broken. I mean, he very broken English, English, but I mean now, you know, I see him, you know, we become very good friends and and he he speaks pretty good English now, but back then it was very more broken type. So, when of the media wants English. to talk to you guys, and I think this has happened uh, like, you know, when Salazar wasn't able to speak after Boston, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You were the only guy they had to to interview. Well, I'm kind of thinking over in London, did you kind of find a little, the English reporters are like trying to get a translator over there to ask Inga a few questions where you, you're able to just jabber away as much as they want you to. Well, and done, you know me (laughs) for 50 years, almost, you know, I'm not afraid to (laughs) open my jaws. (laughs) But you're a good interview. So did you, how was the media demand after that? It was unbelievable. (sighs) I mean, the newspapers over there, the television stations, radio stations. Even when I got back to the U.S., I was getting requests for interviews and things like that. It was, I mean, it was absolutely amazing, to be honest with you. So, you know, and maybe your memory is a lot better than mine. Do you, do you call Mary? Do you call Bill, yeah. Coach Squires? Do you call your folks? How, yeah. how does it, how does, you know, I think I heard, uh, I was at, um, oh, I, I think I was working at uh, Athletic Attic. And, I'm surprised uh, I didn't call you, too. Yeah, and I think somebody, maybe it was you, but somebody called the store, called Karen, and Karen called me. 
And it was just, I mean, we were over the moon. But how how did that all play out? Do you remember? Well, yeah. So I remember, I think the first person I called was my mom. And she was so gosh dang excited. And then I called my dad. And then I probably called Coach Squires. I'm sure I must have tried calling you yeah, or, or Karen or, or, or something. And it was, it was, and my mom was crying on the phone and I was probably crying too. I mean, I never, I had never, that was the first time I'd won a marathon mm, that's crazy. and I didn't even win it by myself. You, that's know, all I right. tied. you won, you won. Yeah. Ty is, a, it's the first place. Do you remember the award ceremony? Did you get some, did you get some good swag? No. <laughs> so you know what? I don't re now there probably was. I do not remember going to like an awards ceremony. Um, I remember when I, we got done with the race, I put my my sweats on, and and Joyce Smith oh, the was win- the first woman's winner of the London Marathon, and Joyce was from you know England, and so they had lots of pictures of me, Inga, and Joy Joyce, and I remember they gave the they had for the winner they had the the biggest bottle of champagne i have ever it stood like four foot high <laughs> and so i told enga he could have it and then so they, they of course they only had one award yeah. for first place so i i think if i remember right i said enga you take it and then you know london said you know we'll get we'll send you one but you know what we got it was the coolest thing it was a a circular gold um medallion and with two runners in the middle and the uh, big Ben, you know, yeah, the big yeah. famous clock in the background. It's a really, it's, it, it wasn't like a gigantic trophy or anything like that. And I, I still got it somewhere around the house somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> yeah, you're but. not using it for an, uh, a, an anchor on your boat or no, anything. <laughs> no, no, no. How about, um, what did New Balance or Coach Squires, what did they, did, oh, yeah, do you remember? They, they were super excited and, and especially since Chris Brasher was a New Balance distributor for them over mm, in Europe and stuff. A New Balance and runner. So I remember Jim Davis, the owner of New Balance, called me up and and uh, was just he was like a little kid on the phone. You know, he was so excited and of course, and and you knew Coach right. Squires, and and you know Coach was just he was beyond happy and everything. And it was it was a it was a really for me it was a big big deal and. At the time, it was a really big, big deal for New Balance mm-hmm. and and uh, and everybody involved. Well, oh man, I'm, I'm getting tired. Now, let's let's back up the truck here a little bit. I just want to do a little review. May of 1980, you go to the Olympic Trials. You run 216.01, finish yes. 16th place. You then yep. go to Nike uh, in Eugene, OTC. I think was that like September 1980, yes. 215.20. Yes. You get yep. 10th place. Right, but you know you're PR and you go to New York. Was it early November, late October? Yeah, late October that year. Uh, you get ninth, run two thirteen fifty five. Yep. January Houston, and now we're into eighty one. You get second at two twelve forty nine behind Bill Rogers. Right. Then you go to Beppu three weeks later. Right. And get third and PR two twelve forty one. Finish behind the So Brothers. Who are yes. two of the, I think in 1980 or 81, I what, think you One were, was a 209 marathon what, and the brother, other brother was a 210 exactly. guy. Exactly. And then you go to London in May. So we're going yep. from May of 80 
to, oh, excuse me, to March of 81. Right. We're not even talking like 12 months. We're talking like 10 months, Beards. Five marathons, all PRs, and all pretty much yeah. world class. Yeah, I, done. <laughs> I look back on that, and, you know, well, you know, I mean, I recovered very quickly. Unbelievable. And, you know, just like after that, the the state of days 10 miler you and i were out doing a 20 miler oh, the next beers, day i tell you your physiology and it'd be great they should if, if they should keep your body for science someday and, and take <laughs> look at you genetically because you know i i'll be honest i ran 11 marathons in my life and every single one of them beat the the heck i almost said a bad word there out of my legs <laughs> i mean i would wake up the next day and feel like somebody had taken ball peen hammers to my quads my hamstrings my calves you know, I think I, I, I always ran. I think I got 100% of what I could give on those days, but I would tear myself up. You had such a, I think, you know, I always remember Coach Squires. He talked about your, your running style, your form. Yeah. And he said, when Dick Beersley runs, you hear um, cherubs playing harps. It's like, like little cherubs. It's like, it's heavenly. I mean, it's like, and your, your stride was so easy and, your, and light. I was very light on the feet, very fortunate on, oh. you know, it just, it just kind of came, to came natural to me, I guess. But, yes. but you know, I, I'm looking at my log book. So the day after the, the morning after London, I went out for a six mile. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and then I did 10 the next day and 10 the next day after that, I love I know, it. but, but done. I look back. And I think, how stupid I, well, Beard, was I? Well, at the time, you know, hindsight's always at twenty twenty. I know. You look back, and at the time, you go, why not? I mean, I feel good. And I, yeah, I'm <laughs> right. not going to go out and do 20. I'm going to go out and do six. But um, it, it, it's, it's, it's so much fun to reminisce about this because, you know, when you're living it, you just, you can't believe, you know, we're going to go back. In 40 years, we're going to look back and remember some of these well, exactly. times. And now, to have that opportunity is just, what a treat. You know, and, oh. and so... Now, you know, and so here we are in late March of 81 and you come back from London and you, yeah, I'm, you have a, I don't know what kind of reception you got. You know, well, I suppose Mary me picks you up at the airport. You go home. Yeah, done. Here's what happened. Yeah, what happened? So I fly from London into somewhere on the East coast. And that was either the day I landed or the day before some. That's when President Reagan, that uh, oh, he, he tried to assassinate yeah, him, remember? Hinkley or whatever his name was. He and tried to the, shoot him. And that Brady guy got shot, shot yeah. in the head, too. And so, of course, that was crazy back then. But I remember when I flew into the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport then. And that was when... You know, you could walk right down to the gate that back then and stuff. And there was a lot of lot of um, all the all the TV stations in Minneapolis were there to greet me, and ah. and there were some some other people with signs holding up, and it was it was pretty cool. exciting. Now, were you um, not? We're kind of getting late here. We'll just finish up. Were you working? You know, somebody asked a question on uh, we we actually on our website we asked people to send in questions, and and somebody came up with it and they kind of said, how do you know the work? running life balance, you know, being a world-class athlete, which you are at this, were at this point. Yeah. But at the same time, having to pay bills, you know, cause it wasn't the, 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 there was no prize money no. above the table. And, and, you know, like Bill alluded to, 
he ran like 25 road races a year just to make 500 bucks a race and then a marathon right. to kind of get a bigger paycheck. What were you doing to help support yourself? So, you know, so I was running twice a day. We lived in that little one-room, one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. yeah. And so Mary worked, you know, she worked full-time at a bank. And I worked, you know, kind of part-time. I remember I um, when I, I first started working at uh, a Foot Locker store. Right. And so one day the regional manager comes in and he brings me out into the mall area and we sit down and when he bends over a pack of cigarettes fall out of his, <laughs> you know, that you wore those referee shirts. I love it. Yes. He goes, uh, he goes, Dick, cause if I had a lunch hour, I'd go out for a run. And he goes, you know, he goes, I remember him talking to me. He goes, you know, your your running's never going to go anywhere for you. He said, I know you love to run, but it ain't going to go anywhere for you. He says, you know, if you really worked hard, you could be a manager of a Foot Locker store. Someday. And when he told me that, I resigned. I, I quit that day. Really? Okay. Yeah, I quit that day. And then Gary Bjorka, a great runner from Minnesota, had like four or five, six running stores called GBS, mm -hmm. Gary Bjorkland Sports. And so... I um, and I knew Gary a little bit, and so I I went and I started selling running shoes and working, you know, not full time, but you know, probably three, four, five hours a day because you know I was training hard in the morning, training hard again in the afternoon, and then you know I had to get to bed early, and 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 that, but that little extra income, you know, as you know, we all, we, the four of us all got yeah. together all the time. None of us were 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 bringing in big but we weren't eating we weren't eating filet mignon every night stretch 20 bucks a long long way absolutely you know gary bjorkland's name is going to come up probably more in the next episode no gary yeah. just so, if people don't know who gary bjorkland is he was a, a phenom from minnesota twig minnesota how right four near duluth six wasn't it 406 mile in high school I mean, it, I think it was Mikey. I think it was 401. It was, it was off the charts. And 1969 on a dirt I was track. Say, it, it was it was not under great conditions. So the guy had phenomenal natural talent. Absolutely. And went on to the University of Minnesota, had an outstanding career. He finished second to uh, Prefontaine at the NCAA cross country one year, which is yes. a great race. And then he made the 1976 Olympic team at 10,000 meters. Right. Running with one shoe, one of his at the Olympic trials. Yeah, one of his spikes got taken off in the race. It it's ha it happened to me once in a cross country race. Right, and he ran with one shoe on and one shoe off and made the Olympic team. You talk about a stud. You know, let's just be honest. And well done. Yeah. I think he, you know, Minnesota's kicked out some really world class athletes in running over the years. To me, Gary was he was the best distance runner i think ever to come out of Minnesota. i remember when i started kind of moving up the chain a little bit and we'd run a 10k in minneapolis and him and a guy named mike slack right. they were training partners and when when they showed up at a race the rest of us were running for third they, honest to god called them the minnesota twins because yeah they, they were so dominant and uh, mike unbelievable slack ran for north dakota state and used to run against south dakota state and all that but those are we got some great stories coming up. Great about stories about Gary Bjorkland and the up. fact that then you were working for him, and he probably was pretty nice boss because he understood the runner's mind frame. Right, and you were there to try to make ends meet, and I'm sure he was 
probably going to help you with that. But well, and and you know, and Gary's name was on the store. He was hardly ever at the store because he was traveling, racing a lot and stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was a few times. You know, I got to run with him a few times in training and things like that. So, but that's something we'll in some upcoming episodes we'll get into I all that. I can't wait. Beards, I finished these talks with you. <laughs> I got to feel like I got to go lay down for a little while. I now. know, me too. It's emotionally exhausting, <laughs> which is a good it thing. Is. I'm having a world of fun. Well, Don, it's been a lot of fun. And, and I tell you what, folks, we want to thank everyone for listening. It is true enjoyment for, <laughs> for Don and I to, to, to do this every week. And if you have any questions for me or or uh, done please um, you know leave some comments you can contact us directly at our website at beardsanddonepod.com or please leave us a comment on our facebook instagram or twitter pages all at beards and done pod yeah and of course if you're watching on youtube well if you're watching on youtube you can see the new t-shirt i have on here yeah isn't that awesome yeah we're, the merchandise if you if you if you yes. think, if you enjoy what you're doing here and you want to support us a little bit we've got some merchandise out there on our website and i've had a good time <laughs> i like wearing this stuff it's a lot of fun i actually had somebody ask me who was beards and done the other day <laughs> i had to explain it to him but anyway if you're watching on youtube or uh, you know, hit that subscribe and like button we'd love to hear more from you and and uh hey beards thanks for uh taking a little time uh, out of your day to chit chat with well me done you know, it's so much fun being able to reminisce like this. And oh, we got more. Uh, I tell you what, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing it with a better buddy <laughs> than you. So we'll, we'll talk next week, pal. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Yeah, bye-bye.